the story of the lost sheep. By this time, a lot of men and women of doubtful reputation were hanging around Jesus, listening intently. The Pharisees and the religion scholars were not pleased. They growled, mm, he's taking in sinners, eats meals with them, treating them like old friends. And their grumbling triggered this story. Suppose one of you had a hundred sheep and lost one. Wouldn't you leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the lost one until you found it? And when found, you can be sure you'd put it on your shoulders. You'd be rejoicing. And when you got home, you'd call in your friends and neighbors and say, come on, let's celebrate. I found my lost sheep. Count on it. There is more joy in heaven over one sinner's rescued life than over 99 good people in no need of rescue. Now, I came across a statistic about students in university towns. As a general rule, the churches in university towns struggle to account for more than 1% of any given student population. There are, of course, exceptions to that, and Oxford is one of them. But uh, other places like St Andrews, Durham, York, uh, you might get 2%. But generally, we're looking at less than 1% of the university population that's 98, 99% of students who don't have an experience of being in a family, a church family, during that very formative period of their life. And of course, you can see that direct correlation between that and the parable in Luke 15 of the lost sheep, except of course the statistics get flipped, because in the story we've just heard, 99% of the sheep are safe, being overseen by a shepherd, but it's 1% it's the one sheep that's wandered off. And yet, in the present student world here, we've got one sheep safely at home, and we've got 99 of them run, wandering around somewhere, anywhere, actually, unless someone is troubled enough to go after them. Now, if we go back 20 years, uh, when Andrew and Mandy planted this church, they were convinced that God wanted them to design a church for those who don't know him, for the lost sheep. And you look around Oxford, there are lots of churches who do a fantastic job of serving their people really well. But Andrew and Mandy wanted to design this church with a very specific remit, and that was to reach those people who don't yet know Jesus. And that means several things. It means that we, as the congregation, we need to be very outward-looking. We'd have to get rid of centuries of cult cultural baggage, we have to be very deliberate about uh, moving out towards other people, and God does that, as we're going to see in another story. We need to be very intentional about taking the initiative to um, make contact with people. And uh, not only that, we've got to invest in them by praying for them, fasting for them, and inviting them to our events. So let me park those thoughts for one moment and just ask you, a random question, which is, so far this year, how many of you have actually been out to a pick-your-own and actually picked your own strawberries this year? Anybody actually got round to doing that? You have. Great, Joe. Well, I don't know. We're in a sort of lull at the moment, aren't we? Strawberries have just come to an end. Raspberries are just about to start. But you might know the procedure. You go and get yourself an empty punnet, and you go down the fields, and you see a fantastic red strawberry, you think, that one's got my name on it, and you go and you just turn it around the other side, think, is it red? Oh, no, 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 it's all white 
on the other side. And you think, ah, oh, that one needs a little bit more time or its time has not yet come. See where I'm going with this. Uh, but eventually you find the ripe strawberries, the beautiful red ones that are red all over. And of course, that's a picture for us of what it is like to lead people to Jesus because many of these people are like the unripe strawberries. They're just not interested. Their hearts aren't open. And if you try and lead people to Jesus when they're in that state, it's like bruising the unripe fruit. It's just not going to work. Whereas you have other people who are just ready. You know, they are ripe for the harvest. In uh, 1 Timothy 2.4, God says he wants all people to be saved and to come to knowledge of the truth. So today, we're going to actually have a look at a way um, ways in which we can recognize how to lead people to Jesus. Because not everyone's ready, but we can help them to become ready. And that approach is called invest and invite. And it comes straight out of the Bible. So let's look at this passage from John 4, 6, where Jesus and his followers, followers came to the town of Sychar in Samaria. It says, Jesus sat down beside the well because he was tired from traveling. It was noon. And after Jesus' disciples had gone into town to buy some food, a Samaritan woman came to draw water from the well. Jesus asked her, would you please give me a drink of water? So the first part of this approach is just initiating contact with people who are far from God. People whom God is actually calling to himself and he's asking you and me to do something about. We need to recognize that these are relational opportunities and actually seize the opportunity to initiate a conversation with people. That's exactly what Jesus was doing with this woman. He took the initiative in speaking to her. And everything that happened afterwards in that story happened as a result of him doing that. So what were those first three bullet points about this church again? Being outward-looking, getting rid of the cultural baggage, and being deliberate about moving towards others. Well, you've got those three right there in that story. Jesus is always looking outwards as he's journeying around. You, you meet him walking along the seashore and he calls out to Peter at the beginning of the book of Matthew. He calls out to him. Then he carries on walking. He sees Andrew. He sees James. He's initiating the conversation. He calls out to them. He's going on down the road. He meets ta- Matthew, the tax collector. The rest is history. He looks up the tree because he's outward looking and he sees Zacchaeus up the tree and he calls out to him. He comes to a place where two blind men are, and he just stops in his tracks, and he says, what do you want me to do for you? You see, he visits a rabbi's home, he goes out to weddings, he goes out to supper, he goes out to parties. I don't know where all these lost people are, but I know that they're not in our sitting rooms. You get the gist? We've got to go out. We've got to go and engage uh, and get busy and get social. So the goal at OVC is to reach people who haven't been in church for years or who have actually never been to church at all. That's our priority. And if we're committed to this church, then we're going to be committed to going after those lost sheep. Of course, that's a bit of an issue, isn't it? Because for some of us, it's daunting. It's difficult striking up conversations with a stranger. But it's not quite so daunting if we remember that the first conversation we've got to actually strike up is with God. Because we must ask God, please, will you tell me, who do you want me to reach? You know, who who would you like me to talk to? And he'll show you. 
Because it makes such a difference knowing that you're doing exactly what God has asked you to do. It gives you much more confidence knowing that it isn't all down to you. And some people, of course, they have this natural gift of the gap, don't they? It comes very easily to them. But when God has shown you who to talk to, it's because he's setting it up for you. <laughs> so he doesn't want Nicky Gumbel or Bill Johnson or Robbie Dawkins talking to that person. He wants you to do it. You're exactly the right person he's chosen. So just be encouraged by that. It doesn't matter whether you feel like you're a natural evangelist or whether you're extrovert or whether you're introvert. He's chosen you for this task. Now, when, when we come in here on a Sunday and you see a new person, what's the first thing that goes through your mind? Do you think, oh, I'll let someone else take care of him. I've, I've actually got to talk to my friends this week, so I haven't actually got time. Or, mm, they're not my age group. They don't want to talk to me. I'm too old. I'm too young, whatever. They're not my gender. Maybe you're a man and it's a single woman coming in and you think, oh, everyone will think I'm hitting on her. I'll leave it alone. Um, there are any number of ways that you can rationalize why you don't have to make the effort. And none of them are good enough. So if you recognize yourself in some of those responses, then you're not the only one. Because there's this wave of apathy and passivity in Oxford. And it's not surprising if the church catches that from time to time. So don't beat yourself up about it. But do recognize that that... Uh, issue is there and refuse to engage with that kind of thinking. We have to fight it all the time. When we see a new person, we have to say to ourselves, is anyone looking after that person? What could I do to make them feel just a little bit more welcome? And actually, our church is really good at that. I see it all the time and I think it's a really a fantastic thing that we are warm and welcoming to people. So our next heading is, involve them in your life. John 4, 7, Jesus asked her, would you please give me a drink of water? You're a Jew, she replies. I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink of water when Jews and Samaritans won't have anything to do with each other? So there we see centuries of cultural baggage being jettisoned. Jesus, single man, being seen talking in public, with a woman on her own, what would people think? He's also talking in public with someone from a very different racial background. Uh, Samaritans, sort of Palestinians, were loathed by Jews and vice versa, and they had nothing in common with them. So there was that. And then as somebody who was perceived as a rabbi and held to the highest standards of moral purity, we have this issue that he was talking to somebody who was thought of as a prostitute. That's clearly asking for trouble. She was out at noon, and she could only get to the well when others weren't around because they wouldn't want to mix with her. But he's not bothered by that. In fact, why would he bother to do all this? Well, he could have got the water himself. He could have asked the disciples to get the water for him. I mean, they're only a few minutes away. But he's getting involved. And why is he doing that? Because he's going after one more lost sheep. He cares more about her than his own reputation, and about all that cultural baggage, the surrounding situation. And you feel the shock of it in her response, because she just says, well, what are you doing talking to me? You know, don't you understand the rules? Could you help me? Could you just get me a drink of water? It's, 
It's such a simple little question. It's just a very easy, simple way of involving someone in your life. Sometimes we're just so busy, aren't we? We haven't got time to stay at home and invite a neighbour over to a barbecue or just make that phone call. So this is our chance this summer to really think about how we can actually involve some people in our lives. Now, I heard a good one the other day. A boy was doing his Duke of Edinburgh Award, and he's very keen on baking and cooking. So he chose that as his skill for the DOV Award of that year. And he went to a neighbour who works in the food industry, and he said, I need to uh, bake something once a week and get somebody who's not a relative uh, to eat it. And if I bought you a cake to eat once a week, would that be okay with you? I mean, would you mind helping me out by eating that cake? I mean, come on. <laughs> it's just it's never going to get easier than that. Um, and so we can all think up a variation like that. You know, you're, you're at home, you're making, I don't know, artisan ice creams or something. You've got this awful problem. Your freezer's run out of space. Could they possibly help you by coming over and eating some ice cream? Make sure you ask them in front of the kids, okay? <laughs> Is that manipulative? Yeah. <laughs> Fine. Um, but notice how not to do it. Don't, not, here's a tub of ice cream. Because that doesn't build a relationship. You need to invite them over so that you're having a meal together of sorts. Or another variation, a fishing trip, a barbecue, a community Sunday, going for a walk, going to a film, wine tasting, something, you know? There are all sorts of ways in which we can just involve our unchurched friends this month. And that's our opportunity to find out where they are on the ripe strawberry gauge. You know, maybe they're not ready, maybe they are. Our third headline is invest in their life by prayer and fasting. Now let's hear what the go-to man on fasting has to say about how we do this. Mike Pilavachi. Yeah, I can't see it myself. And I tell you, we see more miracles when we obey than at any other time. If we really want to see... Um, um, uh, miracles, then what we need to do is, is we need to step out and obey. And I'll finish with this. I have an, a friend called J. John, and uh, he's an evangelist. And uh, um, that means he tells people about Jesus and they become Christians. And, and you know what? A lot more people become Christians when he tells them about Jesus than when I tell them about Jesus. And it really annoys me. And, you know, and I was thinking, why is that? You know, and people say, oh, because he's anointed or whatever that means. And, and I've listened to his talks, and, and they're quite good. They're all right. But mine are all right as well. And in fact, J. John and I, we share talks. Um, he writes them. I like to think I improve on them. And, uh, but you know what? I was asking, why is it that lots of people become Christians whenever J. John invites them more than when I do? And I found the answer a while ago. Uh, it was my day off, and J. John phoned me. He doesn't live far from me, and we're good friends. And he said, I want to take you out for lunch. And I, there's certain principles by which I live my life, and one of them is this. I never, ever, ever refuse lunch when it's offered. And so I said yes, and he took me to the restaurant, and we went to the restaurant, 
And we sat down, and I was tired. It was my day off, and I was hungry. I hadn't eaten anything since 11 a.m. And uh, we sat there. The waitress came along, and uh, she gave us the menus. And, and John said, hello, what's your name? And I thought, oh, come on, John, let's just eat. And then she said her name, and he said, how long have you been working here? And she said, and he said, what would you like to do with your life? And she said something. And then he said, would you like to know what I do? And I thought, oh, no, you are, aren't you? You are. You're going to tell her about Jesus. You're gonna... And it's like, I just want to eat, for goodness sake. And then, and then he said, do you want to know what I do? I'm an evangelist. And then I thought, at this point, I wanted to shout at him, John, shut up. Let her go to hell. I want my lunch. And that's why J. John is anointed evangelist and I'm not. Because he tells people about Jesus before lunch on his day off. He does it all the time. He's obedient all the time. And do you know, when we live in obedience, God does stuff. Let her go to hell, I want my lunch. It's absolutely fantastic. And it ties in with the bullet point that we looked at earlier. Be willing to leave your own comfort to introduce others to Jesus. But if we can do what Mike suggests and obey, then we will see those miracles of salvation. Let's look at the results when an obedient praying servant gets involved in evangelism. John 4, 16, Jesus told her, go and bring your husband. The woman answered, I don't have a husband. That's right, Jesus said, you're telling the truth. You don't have a husband. You've already been married five times, and the man you're now living with isn't your husband. The woman said, sir, I can see that you're a prophet. Now, this simple encounter starts with Jesus opening up that conversation. And then as they're chatting, he gets a specific word of knowledge for her, which he then applies very gently and non-judgmentally. And the result is that that woman, having started off being very defensive, is now spiritually just opening up really fast. And you notice how individual this conversation is. He's making it unique to her as an individual because there's no one approach that works with all people. God tailors his approach to her because she matters to him. She's his daughter. So it's very important that she's going to come home. You have never, any of us, we've never looked at another person who doesn't matter to God. The reason that Jesus is able to hear so clearly from the Father was because of the amount of time he spent in his Father's presence every day. And then he's obedient to do what his Father's asked him to do. Perhaps you've got a whole list of friends who are far from God, but they're not making any progress in moving towards him. Well, that's where we actually need to spend some time and just pray for them and fast. From time to time in this church, we run something called One at One. And that's when you pray for one person who's far from God for one minute at one o'clock. And you can draw up a list of, I don't know, five people who don't know Jesus yet. And each day, just pray for one of them. Colossians 4.2.4 says this, Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful, that's outward looking, and thankful. And pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message. So specifically, if we can just devote that time to hear from God for our friends, and then deposit that prayer in their lives, 
you, you can take comfort from the fact they might refuse your invitation, they might refuse your message, they might reject you, they might reject your love, but they are powerless to resist your prayers. The Bible tells us that we've got weapons of spiritual warfare that can break down strongholds. Now I've, I've got an Airbnb. Because interceding really is the key. And if you're not going to have time to do all that list of four or five things, do this one thing and pray for your friends. Because it really does make a difference. If there's a missing link of repentance somewhere that's withholding a blessing, then your prayers are going to be the bridge builder which enables God's favour to work in their lives. So we must also uh, ask God, Lord, can you help me see the key to their heart? Because everybody's got a hidden hurt. Uh, it may be a problem with the kids. It could be loneliness. It could be financial issues. It could be a question about somebody who's died recently. And when you find that hurt and you begin to explain how Jesus meets that hurt, you're building that bridge. And that's a very, very powerful thing because it's got them engaged and it's an individual thing for them. And that's what God is calling us to do. So finally then, invite them to an event. If you struggle with inviting people to events, it will never be easier than inviting them to an Alpha course. Remember that three quarters of the people on the street who were questioned said that they would come to an event if they were invited. But do be upfront about it. You know, when people say, Alpha, what's that? Tell them, it's an introduction to the Christian faith. Don't try and sort of mask it and say, oh, well, you know, it's kind of stuff with friends or something. You know, we can't do that. Because if you do, what you're doing is you're actually communicating that you're so unconfident about the gospel, that you have to resort to underhand methods to try and get them on board, and that won't do. When Sandy Miller, um, who's a vicar who used to run HGB, was invited by his wife, she sent a postcard to everyone she knew saying, come to a tennis party and hear about Jesus. Absolutely upfront. And, you know, she, <coughs> he knew there was an agenda, okay? It was right there. But he chose to come. Some people will, some people won't. But it's fine to do that. So in John 15, uh, sorry, John 4, Jesus then finally says, go and bring your husband. And later on, the woman went back into the town. John 4:29 says, come and see a man who told me everything I've ever done. Could he be the Messiah? Everyone in town went out to see Jesus. What an event to be invited to. <laughs> it's amazing, isn't it? So um, let's listen to Miriam Swaffield from Fusion speaking to HDB on this subject. God is a God of the outwards perspective. What does that look like for us? When we've got 99 and feeling a pretty healthy community, it can be really easy to end up focusing all our attention on maintaining what is rather than the mission of God for who isn't home yet. Really easy. My church does it as well. We've just had to do something to try and shake this up, to be honest, because it's becoming a problem. Because we'd look around the room, we'd all look the same, sound the same, know each other's names, and we suddenly start to clock, we might actually not be making any new disciples of Jesus here. We, we might be having just quite a nice time as the current family. And so we did something a bit bold for us. This might not be bold for you, but for us, we cancelled everything 
every church event and midweek group and massive small big groups as they were getting, cancelled it all and we all did Alpha instead. Shout out to Alpha. From Monday to Friday, you were either serving on an Alpha course, praying for an Alpha course, leading an Alpha course, or bringing your mate along to one, right? There was no other option because we decided as a church, we have got to shock us out of our comfort zone. We've got to look outwards again rather than maintaining our nice community in and of itself and nobody knew was coming to know the good news. It's good to know we're not the only ones. Hmm? So let's get rid of that apathy that passivity which is part of the Oxford air we breathe. And let's just ask God to forgive us if we've allowed those things in our lives when the stakes are so high, eternal consequences. We're not just inviting somebody to an event, we're inviting them to meet a person. Our culture thinks that life is about the latest iPhone, larger house, skiing holiday, hot holiday every year, etc. But Jesus said, eternal life is to know you, the only true God, and to know Jesus Christ, the one you sent. I'd like to encourage you to ask God, just for five people, yeah, at least five people, and you might like to write their names down now, or just jot them down in your phone. Here's a final slide as a reminder of what we can do to help them. Initiate contact involve them, invest in them, invite them to Alpha. Some of your friends will be ready to come, some not. If they're not, just need to pray for them. God has sent us on a rescue mission, so let's engage with what he's doing. Amen.